This is Emma Clark. I'm here for the Brooklyn Public Library's Our Streets, Our Stories project. I'm here with Steve Charleston, and he's joining us by phone from Melbourne, Florida. But he was born and raised in Brooklyn, and that's what we're going to talk to him about today. It is May 4, 2016, and this is Emma Clark from the Central Library. All right, Steve, so where were you born? Uh, born in East New York, 593 Van Sicklin Avenue. And what, what years was that? 1936, January 30th. All right. And how did your family end up there? Were your parents born and raised there as well, or did they come here? Uh, parents were born and raised in, in uh, the U.S. Uh, grandfather and, and grandmother came from uh, Russia. Mm -hmm. uh, they bought the uh, They came in uh, uh, 1888. Mm-hmm. And uh, settled in uh, Brownsville, Brooklyn, uh, at several different addresses. And in 1920, they bought the house in uh, East New York on Van Sicklin Avenue. And how long did you live in that neighborhood for? Uh, I lived there until 1953. Then I went to the service, uh, came back in 1957, went to school for a couple of years, lived at uh, 651 Bradford Street in East New York, uh, uh, and then moved to Mount Vernon, New York, uh, about 1960. What did your parents do? Uh, my father was a, a restaurant manager. My mother was a housewife. Uh, uh, she worked for the New York City Police Department after the kids got older. Mm -hmm. Did you have any siblings? Yes, one brother. Uh, Larry, who's uh, still living in Brooklyn on Ocean Parkway, uh, four years younger. And do you have any distinct memories from your early childhood in Brooklyn? Sort of games oh, you would play or traditions, places? <laughs> but the only thing I can remember these days. <laughs> uh, yeah, I still, you know, it, 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 I've been into for the last, 10, 15 years, I've been into genealogy of the family. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, my memory uh, and details of the uh, uh, the area are pretty vivid. So, Any particular ones that stand out? Well, what branch are you calling from? Uh, Central, Grand Army. Okay, you know the branch in uh, East New York on Barbie Street? On yeah. Okay. That replaced an old school that was built way before 
and you were already into pretty much what we considered wild country. <laughs> it was swamps, farms, blacksmith shops. Wow. Um, plenty of riding academies where you could rent a horse. <laughs> and, uh, in fact, uh, I I was on a night ride as a kid, and I remember... And the horse took off and ran out to Linden Boulevard and was <laughs> hit by a Rockaway bus. But oh my God! Uh, so it was like I said, we probably lived a mile from any any development. Mm-hmm. You know, at that at that point, once you got past Linden Boulevard, the Belt Parkway had not been built yet. Uh, and it was a swamp, salt marsh. Uh, there were some old hunting shacks that were all along there. Mm-hmm. Uh, people had built uh, many years before, and uh, there, there was some legal thing where they were grandfathered in. The city wanted to take them down, uh, but the the families wanted to keep them because they were they were used for hunting. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they were kind of grandfathered in, and um, uh, every year the city came in and burned a couple down. And once they were once they were destroyed, they couldn't be rebuilt again. Strangely enough, uh, there's been very little rebuilt on that since then. <laughs> uh, no, I think the pink houses were built on the the pink house project was built on that uh, that area in the 60s or 70s. What kind of activities and games did you do as a kid? How'd you fill your time? Baseball, you know, sandlot baseball. Uh huh. Punch ball, stick ball, kick the can, ring alivio, hide and seek. You know. And how would you describe what the neighborhood was like back then? What kind of environment was it? It was a good environment. Uh, as a kid. Well, see, here's the funny thing. As a kid, it was home, and it was beautiful. The, the, the all the streets were lined on both sides with uh, mature oak and poplar trees. Uh, when I went away to the service, uh, I, you know, I left home and went for basic training. Uh, a few months later, I came home on leave. You know, 18-year-old kid, right? Mm-hmm. Got off the Interborough Parkway at uh, Pennsylvania and Atlantic and said, wow, I was only gone a few months. And they turned the place into a slum. Mm. <laughs> and it turns out it was an old slum neighborhood uh, on the uh, on the edge of changing mm-hmm. for the worst. My father told me, and he had been living there all his life, when he was a kid, it was changing also. It was changing from basically a uh, uh, an agricultural community uh, into an area where all the immigrants from uh, from Brownsville and from the city mm-hmm. were, were coming to move, and houses were going up right, right and left. So he says he he watched the change too. He says and it's going to change again, <laughs> and he's right. And maybe and it has. Yeah, they 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 have the the house that that my grandfather bought 
1921, actually, was uh, $9,000. It was eventually sold in, in um, oh, I, I'm probably the 60s for around $5,000. And uh, I just saw on the net that... Uh, it was sold, or the house next door was sold just recently, which was the same thing. They were, you know, basically row houses mm-hmm. for four hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Wow. Okay, and uh, same house. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'm sure it was dressed up, and I'm sure it had to be uh, gutted and fixed up inside. One particular memory, uh, when I got out of the service, uh, my folks, my grandmother and grandfather and my mother and father both lived in that same house, and the kitchen floor was sagging. It was falling into the basement, and I replaced some of the uh, 4x4s holding up the floor in the basement, the wooden 4x4s, which were termite-ridden, and I replaced them with metal lolly columns to support the floor. Uh, so that's the kind of shape the house was in. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would think that it had to be redone, but uh, strangely, the latest Google photo of of the house clearly shows the window air conditioner in the front of the house, and it's the same one. <laughs> 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 so <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> that's pretty wild. Well. Oh, all of the houses over there is mm-hmm. same thing, and yet uh, I've met uh, many people here in Florida, young younger people that came from that neighborhood. Hmm. Uh, in fact, one of them just came from two blocks away, and we got to talking about uh, about the neighborhood. And the kid told me, he says, "Don't don't go there." And I said, "Well." Uh, I don't, but well, you know, why do you say that? He says uh, you're wearing a pinky ring and a watch. He says you're lucky you won't lose an arm. He says don't go there. He says even the cops won't go there except uh, under extreme circumstances, and when they do, they go in pairs. They're not supposed to go there alone. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I told him, well, very little has changed because when I grew up, the, the neighborhood was like that. And I remember vividly, and I know this is not the not the right way to paint a neighborhood, okay? <laughs> but the standard thing, and even you learned this very early as a as a youngster, uh, and and my my parents learned this too. If you see somebody getting shot, or you see somebody dead laying on the sidewalk, don't make eye contact. Step over them, walk away, keep your mouth shut. Wow. Because it was. Every block had mm, two or three, two or three empty lots, and it had been a dumping ground for uh, Murder Incorporated. What was the source of that during your childhood? What was the what? The source of of that kind of activity in your childhood. I, I'm sorry. The force? Did you say? Source. Oh, I don't know. It was just something, it was home. It was just something that, that was there, and that was the um, an accepted way of life. Hmm. So you never uh, had any awareness of why that kind of violence might have been happening? No. 
okay. don't forget, I, I I was the second generation of of that happening. My uh, mm-hmm. before 1920, my my uh, my parents, my uncles, and uh, grew up in Brownsville, uh, around Livonia and Saratoga, and uh, there was a candy store there uh, called uh, Midnight Rose. And um, that was Murder Incorporated headquarters. It was just a a normal thing, and there were certain neighborhoods that you 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 stayed away from because they were controlled by certain gangs and others. And and it was just one of those things. You you stayed you stayed away from trouble. Yet, you know, saying saying something like that. I remember early on uh, in uh, elementary school where you were required to join a library, a public library, and get a library card. Mm-hmm. And the closest library to where I grew up on Van Sicklin Avenue was the Stone Avenue Library in Brownsville. I don't know if that thing is still there. Probably not. That required a... Uh, uh, a trip on the L, and yet second and third grade kids were were expected to you know get up and go. Mommy didn't take them. It was just normal. It was part of learning how to get around in the city, mm-hmm. and perfectly normal. I wouldn't get on the subway today. <laughs> 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 so, but it, but it was. Uh, in fact, when we got older, the, a, a game a game that we played, you know, with the the guys together, were uh, you were dropped off at night somewhere. Somebody, whoever had a car, took you and drove you and dropped you off someplace in the city. Could have been Manhattan, could have been anywhere. And uh, you had to get back by 8 o'clock the next morning with nothing more than a dime in your pocket. Oh, my goodness. And it was doable. Uh-huh. It was doable. If you got dropped off in in, uh, in the Bronx somewhere, you got on a train, you took it to some place, got a free transfer, did this, took a bus. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, sometimes you got uh, you got stuck. I got stuck in Coney Island one way. Uh-huh. One, one time, I, uh, Mermaid in 35th. Mm-hmm. And um, I was just sitting there till 2 o'clock in the morning, hoping for somebody to walk by that I could ask them for a dime. Yeah, because <laughs> I was out of money and couldn't. I knew that there was a trolley that went from uh, Coney Island over to uh, the BMT line, but didn't know where it was and didn't know where I was at the time. Those are the kind of things that were done, mm-hmm. and and of course, when I was growing up, it was the it was wartime, the middle of World War Two. So I remember all all of uh, uh, the restrictions. Uh, at the time, uh, automobiles that were put up on milk cartons because uh, there were no tires. So the the streets were just as crowded. You know, a small side street had cars parked on both sides. It's just that there weren't any tires on them. Mm. <laughs> so, uh, and they stayed that way till the end of the war. Was there anything else that you recall about your experience in Brooklyn during the war? Uh, no. I uh, I remember when it ended. Mm-hmm. 
uh, and there were huge block parties, and uh, I I was really preoccupied uh, as, as a kid with fishing, either fishing at Canarsie mm-hmm. or Howard Beach uh, or Cross Bay or uh, the Rockaways, uh, and uh, just didn't care about anything but going fishing. In fact, I still don't. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, it, it was it was a, a uh, it was a good time growing up. It was it was fun, uh, and for, you know for kids it was it, it was adventurous. Uh, there were a lot of there were a lot of kids that uh, by the time they were sixteen or seventeen uh, were depressed. Uh, they said that. They're stuck. They're stuck in this area. They're stuck in this neighborhood. They're stuck in the city. There's no hope. There's no future. And um, but they were regarded by most other kids as uh, well, you know, as a crackpot. Stay away from them. But in thinking back over it, there were there were many of them like that. Mm-hmm. And so, did you join the service right after high school? Uh, yes, I left high school. I joined the service when I was 17. Mm-hmm. And uh, I. You know, after a few months in the service, you realize, uh, well, I understand what everybody else was telling me. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I went back to high school uh, afterward when I got out of the service, went to college on a GI Bill, and went back to East New York for a couple of years, uh, and then uh, to Mount Vernon, New York, and then Connecticut, and then uh, Pennsylvania, Mm -hmm. and eventually Florida, where I wanted to be as a kid so I could go fishing all year. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And when you were in the service, as you started to meet people who were maybe from other places, did you find that being from Brooklyn gave you a distinct outlook, or how do you think that influenced you? Oh, yes. Uh, There's no question. Uh, I thought everybody else had an accent, and they thought (laughs) I had (laughs) it. I had worked. Uh, they, they, a lot of them were fascinated with kids that came from New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, primarily because they had heard so much about New York and heard about, you know, the good things, the bad things, and um, so they were interested in 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 knowing. And and the initial feeling from the New York kids were. Well, this is a bunch of hicks from from Oklahoma or Missouri or or, or this place or that place, right? Uh, or 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 farm boys, and they're really very immature <coughs> compared to to us. Yet they talked about building their own house, <laughs> <laughs> uh, raising a family. You know, while the rest of us talked about, are we going to scrape up enough money to get drunk tonight? (laughs) (laughs) So it it, it was a... uh, There's no question it was was a culture shock. And later on, as as you got, you know, or as I got older and, and, and many of my friends got older, we started to realize that that uh, 
these people that we met weren't the oddballs. We were. Hmm. And New Yorkers have a decided edge about them that people in the rest of the country don't have. And they do have a different outlook. And I've got a, a, a good friend, childhood friend, as a matter of fact, who always attributed that to, uh, well, did, I don't know, did you ever raise gerbils or hamsters as a kid? No. Okay. Well, when you raise gerbils and hamsters and they they, they get pregnant and they have babies and they're all cute and everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, what happens is they uh, get pregnant, they have more, right? Mm-hmm. And when it starts getting too overcrowded, they start eating their young. So that that's what makes the New York attitude. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to switch phones uh, with you in a moment, okay? Okay. Uh, So uh, there's no question that the New Yorkers have an edge, and it does have a uh, an influence on you. And um, uh, let's see, well, kind of going along with that, the, the first. Uh, okay, hold on a second. Let me get this phone here. Okay, can you hear me? Yep. Okay. Uh, so I, I think it was as much an experience for New Yorkers as uh, as anybody else. Although the, the the New York the New York edge or the New York attitude uh, still is inbred. <laughs> and, uh, if you take a New Yorker and remove him from New York and Put him someplace else. Mm-hmm. His attitude is is, is apparent. All right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and uh, I I can't. Well, yeah, I, I can. Uh, <coughs> you come out of your house in the morning. You walk down the street. A perfect stranger comes up to you, walks by, tips his hat, and says, "Good morning, ma'am." Right. Mm-hmm. You say good morning. You smile and you walk on. Somebody in New York does that to you. You have one of two choices: <laughs> you either drop them and and run like hell, or you just run like hell. <laughs> and it, it, it's 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 true. And one of the, living down here, I've, let's see, we've been in Florida now for about thirty years. We were in Pennsylvania for about fifteen years. Uh, and. Um, one of the most popular bumper stickers for cars here <laughs> it says, we really don't care how you did it in New York. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it's true. Um, my my brother and sister-in-law come down here to visit. They can take it for three to four days. They still live in New York. They still live in, uh, in Ocean Parkway in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. And um, they can't take it. It's too quiet. 
it, it's too quiet. They say, how can you live like this? I say, why? I don't have to drive around for three or four blocks to park my car at night. <laughs> I said, I, I don't do as you do with a brand-new car, leave the thing unlocked, because if you don't, somebody's going to smash the window. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's better to leave the doors open until they, they can find out that there's nothing there they can take. <laughs> I, it, it's, it's just a different different attitude. And while I, I'm happy about the fact that I grew up in, in, in East New York and, and uh, uh, I, I don't think I would have traded that experience for, for, for anything, I certainly didn't want my kids brought up there. Hmm. And why is that? The, the, uh, the so-called New York edge is not attractive. It really isn't. Uh, I, I, it's it's very hard to describe. Um, I I can tell you that that um, when I got out of college, um, first job that I had really was a, with a company called Teleregister in Stamford, Connecticut, and they gave me an office and they gave me a, a, a dictating machine to dictaphone uh, to record memos on for typing. And the first memo I dictated, I played back and listened to myself, exactly. and I was shocked. I took the machine home, practiced all night long <laughs> <laughs> to try to try to lose lose the accent and, and and use some of the phrase, you know, lose some of the phrases I was using. And uh, it was a strange, uh, just a strange thing. I mean, that's not saying it's anything bad about it. It's just that it's it's so different. Uh, it's hard to explain. Hmm. Well, we are almost out of time. Is there anything else you would like to add? No, uh, there, there's there's not much. The the, the um, uh, that East New York project website uh, brought back a lot of memories, and I've sent them a few photos. In fact, I sent them a class photo of my mother in PS seventy two. Mm-hmm. In 1910, it's it's been on their page for, for quite a while, uh, and the uh, there's a series of photographs in there uh, uh, donated by uh, Peter Rappelier, uh whose family was one of the earliest settlers uh, of the area, mm-hmm. and his grandfather uh, was a camera buff prior to 1900. Went all along uh, New Lots Road uh, in East New York, all the way up to the Brownsville line, taking pictures of the uh, old houses, the, the mansions. Uh, as a kid, I was fascinated by the graveyard of the Dutch Reformed Church across from the library. Where the uh, the headstones all had the names of uh, Skank, Barbie, Van Sicklin, Hendricks, Wyckoff, and uh, you know, as a kid, I looked at it and I said, "Oh wow, look at that! These people took the name of the streets that were here." <laughs> I had it backwards. Uh, and he he's got. Uh, Many of them with good documentation on that website. And that's 
and uh, uh, that's fascinating. As a matter of fact, one of the things that uh, I found there was a photograph of the old Van Sicklen house. Uh, I grew up, I, that was on New Lots Avenue, uh, just, all, uh, just east of New Lots and Van Sicklen. Uh, I always thought it was Mike's gas station <laughs> because it was a Sacconi station when I grew up. And the house was still there. It eventually fell into such disrepair, it was just leveled. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just found the uh, the historical aspects of it to, to be fascinating. Well, thank you so much for taking the time out to talk with us. Okay. Oh, you're quite welcome. I-